Today's date is February 20th, 2022. We are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page 64 to 65. 64 starting with therefore we started to 65, we went back through our lives. Sharon will be our leader, followed by a 20 minute share by Maya. Sharon, will you read this please? Hi, thank you so much. I'm Sharon, a recovered compulsive overeater, recovered for today in Los Angeles. Okay. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. It is an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup, which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease, for we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. We asked ourselves why we were angry. In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore, we were burned up. On our grudge list, we set opposite each name, our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with? We were usually as definite as this example. I'm resentful at Mr. Brown. The cause, his attention to my wife, told my wife of my mistress, Brown may get my job at the office, affects my sex relations, self-esteem, fear, self, sex relations, self-esteem, fear, security, self-esteem, and fear. Mrs. Jones, she's a nut. She snubbed me. She committed her husband for drinking. He's my friend. She's a gossip. Personal relationship, self-esteem, fear. My employer, unreasonable, unjust, overbearing, threatens to fire me for drinking and padding my expense account. Self-esteem, fear, security. My wife misunderstands and nags, likes Brown, wants house put in her name. Pride, personal sex relations, security, fear. We went back through our lives, nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. Thank you, Sharon. Now we would like to have Maya share on what Sharon just read. Maya, please share. Hi. 
Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, my name is Maya. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Slovenia. That's in Europe. I've been in these rooms for away for more than eight years now. Uh, most of my time, most of that time calling myself recovered. Um, and in the beginning of my recovery journey, I was woken up, I was transformed. I, I did recover, but this, did that last? No, it doesn't just last, you know, uh, the disease progressed and I haven't. And for six years, I was experiencing what they call a death by a thousand paper cuts. And last year, that's my experience. So that's, I have to start with that because um, it builds into what I am right now. Last year, I wanted to kill myself, but I was actually too afraid to do it. And I wanted to show you what it was like for me at the end of six years of this um, made-believe recovery. Uh, I want to read you a letter I wrote last March so you can witness this transformation for yourself. And then you can get back to deciding if anything I'm about to say about doing step four has any value. Because, you know, with this letter, I want to illustrate how the progression of the disease looked like for me, how I perceived reality back then. Because um, my mind drew conclusions that the steps are only designed to keep you busy, you know, like building these sandcastles while other people are living actual lives. And that recovery is just the same hell as overeating was. The only difference being that we put more effort into deluding like ourselves and others that it isn't, of course, with the help of uh, group support. And um, that that truly was hell to, to live, um, to experience. So this is the letter um, so that we can move on to step four. Um, okay, let me just find it. So... When I started my recovery journey, I was so relieved after doing my step four. I've discovered that no matter the reason, harboring ill feelings is killing me. I have to let them go if I'm to live. And I did. And I started rebuilding my life from scratch. I was 29 and owning nothing, never worked, didn't finish any schools, didn't have a driver's license, didn't have any money, only debts. But I had God by my side and I knew things would work out and they did. I started working at my own little business. Friends loaned me an apartment. I lost weight, rediscovered my body, took up some sports and fun activities, got my driver's license, bought a car, got engaged. You know, that same story you hear so many times, but... Even though I'm different, I'm still the same, the same crazy, neurotic, insecure little child pretending to be an adult. Now the stress or the responsibility of having all of these new assets seems too much. I hate the always slogan, fake it until you make it. I truly detest it. It never helped me. It only took me to places I was unequipped to handle. And the pain of faking it only piled up until I felt too ashamed and, and embarrassed and defeated for lying about who I am and what I can do to everybody, but most to myself who am i kidding i can't do this i don't enjoy any of this i'm promoting this recovered life but it is no bliss for me i still don't know how to stop the pain and in the past at least i had drugs i hit at least i had food i could eat and then oblivion now even that doesn't work anymore so all my work in OA meant nothing i was just building my little sandcastles does recovery even exist like really not just stories upon stories of people achieving recovery but professing their endless struggles in their newfound freedom does it get better does the pain really stop and i don't mean the pain life is made of 
you know, I mean, the numbing pain preventing you from having a life. Because I see so many people, my parents, including seemingly inflicted by the same disease, but they are still living and I'm not. What makes them be able to hold jobs, own a house, get married and have children even? And I don't. They're sick. They're sad, angry, use drugs all the time, but they live and they smile. And I don't. In spite of all the recovering I did, I don't. I'm in hell. Who am I kidding? And this time, not only I don't know the way out, I'm not sure I want to get out. Is recovery designed just to bring you to another level of hell, like the Inception movie? I'm not sure I want to play the game at all anymore. This so-called recovery brought me to places, people, and situations I'm unequipped to handle. But now I don't want to juggle life anymore. I'm tired. I don't trust myself. I don't believe in recovery anymore. And I cannot force myself to believe it, even if my life depends on it. I feel like faking it only took me this far, but now it's real and I can die. I feel like, like I woke up and found myself in an insane position of juggling millions of objects on a mere slack line. And each moment I can fall thousands of feet deep and I can't look down and I can't go back. What the fuck? Not only I don't want to continue, I never want to put myself in a position of getting myself up there ever. It feels like I finally woke up and I saw the mess I put myself in with this recovery. But did I wake up or have I fallen asleep? Which is real, the happy jolly juggler or the scared crazy lunatic trying to stop him? I don't know anything anymore. All I know is that right now my plan for life is this. Somehow avoid people and all types of relationships as much as possible. Lie, pretend, lay low, make excuses, do whatever you have to to get them off your back. Spend as much time as possible in nature, in the woods, just walking. Time will pass and they will leave you alone and all will be fine and God will provide you food and shelter along the way. Keep this up until your dog dies, which is probably about six more years, and then you can kill yourself. Peace at last. Now that to me doesn't sound like a very smart plan or loving, so probably God isn't the author of it, but this is me right now. This is where I am and this is as far as I can bring myself on my own. I need help. I need God. And I know I have promised before not to have my own way ever again, God, but I don't even know when I'm having it. And to be honest, I think I'm powerless over my willpower. I try to strive for righteousness, but I'm too broken to really know what I'm doing. My feelings and associations are all wrong. There is no compass because there is nothing, no real experience of what is right. I don't know how love feels. In any case, it feels wrong. It hurts. Whenever something feels pleasant to me, I'm discovering I'm in the wrong. So I start doubting my sanity. Life, the way I see it, is a beautiful orchard full of apples and pears and peaches. And I'm hungry, insatiably hungry. But the orchard is planted on a minefield. Now, this, this was a letter, and I hope it sounds like lunacy to you. Uh, not to say you can't relate to it, um, but it does sound pretty insane. And you can hear the I in it, the selfishness in it. Um, that's how it feels to be in the, in the active edition. You know, uh, well, that's how it felt to me. I was losing my mind. Food stopped working. And after I wrote that, things became much worse for me. And I was off to kill myself. I did not have God. I did have a dog, though, which kept me alive. Alive enough uh, to find my way back to way, to God, to sanity. And as it turns out, when you do let go, the net appears. But I didn't let go. I was too tired to hang on anymore. And I fell. Oh, boy, <laughs> did I fall deep. And I died. I actually died last spring. 
um, luckily God was aiming to kill only the ego and, you know, trying to keep me alive in this process and succeeded, of course. And the only thing that died last spring was actually my pride and my lies and my mind that was killing me with its incessant shoots and musts and know-it-alls. So yeah, um, my sponsor had a lot of fun with me. Um, and as she pointed out, God had to kill my mind in order for me to stop making up stories. Stories about who I am, what is going on, what is reality, what it should be. He had to kill my brain in order for me to shut up, to shut up and obey. Um, I don't know if that is what you should do, but it saved my life. As it turns out, that was the last thing I was willing to do. But it was also the only thing I was able to do by that point. I ran out of ideas, but mostly I ran out of power to execute them. You know, I was, I was tired. I was tired with a capital T. Um, so when I sobered up and, and I woke up, I, I, was, I was waking up, you know, hitting the snooze button a couple of times, trust me. But when I woke up, I saw my life was in shambles. So which brings me to my step four. And to tell you the truth, I wasn't even aware of the majority, you know, more like, more like seeing a bruised body, but not seeing the broken ribs and the internal bleeding, the brain damage, you know, still the bruises were there. And this is what I addressed in my step four, you know, and that is called a personal inventory. And that is enough for starters. You can dig deeper into the guts much later. So it's okay, whatever you see right now, it is okay. Um, I'm a search and rescue dog handler. And when you come to, to a site, you know, of a major disaster, you take in the facts and decide accordingly. And in no circumstance, you don't ask about what, what were people feeling when this happened and how come they got themselves into to be here in this first place. You know, you ask whether the electricity is still on or, or they have unplugged it. And if there is any gas leakages or something, you assess the situation in order to make your decisions. You know, you want pure facts, not some muddy, foggy picture, you know, a story. You know, we want cold, hard facts. Brown, attention to wife, told my wife of mistress. You know, I don't, I don't want the facts when I'm doing my fourth step. I wanted the story. But this is what I need. Because in the site, you know, in, in the search and rescue, you're about to risk your life the life of your dog and your mates. You make sure you have all the facts that are vital for you to do this job. And the goal is simple, get as many people out of that as possible, you know, alive, if that's possible. So what is the goal of a personal inventory? So it's to figure out what is rotten, what is dysfunctional, what is doing more harm than good. If I don't find it, I will go down with it. That's a promise. In business, I will fail. I will fail the business. At the crash site, I will injure myself. And instead of, you know, being there to help, I will be one more victim they will need to care for. That is not so hard to grasp in that situation. Therefore, you know, my job is to find what is propelling my downward spiral in life. Um, and uh, in order to do that, like it says here, I don't need to judge put on guilt, I need to be in the observation mode, you know, I need to do it honestly, without judging, you know, like, like somebody from the outside would do it. Now, it never says, um, 
you know, uh, I'll be the one getting rid of what I find, but my job is to find, to define. Uh, you know, and again, back to search and rescue, when me and my dog find the missing person, I don't take their life history there, you know, on the side or try to make them feel comfortable or better about their life situation. I give CPR needed, but mainly I only report to the medics about the find and I move on. My job is to seek. I'm not even allowed to move the rubble, you know, actually I'm not allowed to move the rubble and dig that person up. That could do more damage, you know, just Charlie bleeding sector four by the fireplace, move on to the next one. And in my step four, my job is to do just that. Now, what I want to do, what I did want to do, and I, what I was doing, you know, for the past six years is not nearly what I was ordered to do. And that is very true, you know? And that's why I read that letter. So you can see that when I was making up stories in my step four, this is where it got me. I started hating recovery, OA, the steps, the big book, God, everything, but most importantly in my life, because I was taking it into my own hands, making up stories, but I need to find facts. You know, my whole body wants to do anything else, you know, but what I just described, you know, I wanted to go deep into the story, paint you a clear picture, paint you a clear picture so you will understand. So not even I will feel again, again, you know, the story, but even you can feel it too. So those are my settings. You know, that's, that's my definition of resentment. But that is, that is not what I'm asked to do here. I am asked to do the actual work described in the big book. That is what um, uh, a, risk, a recovery sponsor is here for, you know, to guide you through these directions. Because I want to, you know, make my own directions and instructions as to what I want to do. But um, basically, my sponsor was here to tell me, uh, over and over again, look, define, move on. And I need to be willing to seek and I need to be willing to be rid of those resentments. And I profess my willingness by working my ass off to do exactly what I was asked to do. You know, not conjuring, conjuring up more fog about all of it, more stories, more detailed description of how this was really, really unjust or really shameful, really painful. I don't have the luxury to deceive myself about it. I need to find facts, you know? I need to muster the honesty of a drowning man. Terrible feelings will crop up, terrible. Step, doing step work, step, step forward feels awful, terrible. And that's how you know you're doing it right. But what do you do about them, about those feelings? Well, nothing, I cannot wish them away. You don't do anything, I don't do anything. I need to pray. Only God can remove my resentments, you know? I cannot will them away. My, my job was to write down what I'm asked to write down, you know, with as little words as possible. And it is God's job to remove my ill feelings out of every cell of my body and trust me between those two jobs you don't want god's job you you you're not equipped to do it i can't do it <laughs> you know it's like saying now fall in love with this xy person you can't rescript your every cell in the body so please 
stick to your job that is described so eloquently in this book. Um, it didn't look eloquent and elegant to me when I first read it. You know, that's because I still had, like, like in the books, I still had scales over my eyes. Um, so that's, I want to, I actually want to um, use this opportunity to thank my sponsor for being that support. You know, she was like a nurse guiding me through this, seeing those instructions. Now, when I'm recovered, I actually see them clearly. But while I was doing my step four, I didn't see it clearly. Everything was muddy and foggy. So um, the purpose of taking personal inventory is really to unblock ourselves, you know. Um, but what does that mean, unblocking? I, I didn't know I was blocked. I mean, I could see that life was unfair, that it was uncertain, that it was a cruel jest. You know, in that sense, I was cut out. I was blocked from all the goodies. You know, I saw manifested in other people's lives. But that is not the blockage, the blockade, the blockage. <laughs> I don't know how, how they say that. that. That is not the blockage this book is talking about. You know, I was cut out from the spirit um, of the sunlight of the spirit, you know, which means I was cut away from the source, which gives me the inspiration, which gives me the guidance, which the source that powers me to carry out that guidance. But you can't tell you're blocked from that. Now, can you, you know, because my head was never quiet. It constantly gave me ideas and schemes and uplifting. You can do it messages. You know, it also gave me a lot of you are crap and no wonder, no wonder you can't do anything right messages, you know. Uh, but when your head is constantly chirping something, you can hardly say you're being blocked by guidance or power. Right. You know, well, I, I, I didn't, you know. Like you can see from the letter, I had ideas, I had explanations for things, you know. I only realized in retrospect, I was very much blocked. I was so insane. <laughs> I can't even hide it. I, I, you can only know when you're being blocked, when, when the blockage is removed. Um, it's like, have you ever gone skiing or rollerblading? You know, you spend a day in those shoes. I don't know, skiing, I don't know how they call you, you call them. And they become a part of you, you know? You don't, you don't think of them as a separate. You, they, they become a part of you. And they no longer weigh a ton or seem uncomfortable to wear. It is only by the end of the day when you put them down that you feel that you can fly, you know, like literally. But if someone were to come to you in the middle of the day telling you, you're blocked, you know, blocked, dude, are you kidding me? I'm, you know, I'm skiing. Everything's great. So, so you see, that's how I see that my perspective is actually skewed, you know. It, nevertheless, I still think I'm, I think I'm right, you know. I always think I'm right. Actually, I feel I'm right, you know. Have you ever, have you ever felt hungry and thought to yourself, oh, that feeling isn't right? <laughs> no, you know, hunger always seems right. But that's the thing, it just seems, you know. So the purpose of an inventory is to discover the truth about ourselves. But that can only be done if I look at my inventory objectively. Unfortunately, you can't see the picture when you're in the picture. And um, so stepping away from it all uh, is very hard to do. So I needed to obey and pray. Good God, I needed to obey and pray so hard. I have to tell you, I had to block every single thing 
every single person away. I um, I actually locked myself in my apartment for a couple of months so that I could bathe myself in the big book, talk to people, and pray. And that's the only the only I don't know way that I know how 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 I could get some clarity and even that you know looking back my step forward that I did last year is so funny um it was it's still a story but that was the best that I could muster and it was good enough it was good enough for God you know um what I wanted to say more uh, can you give me please a heads up because I have no idea how, how how long have I been talking um so uh maybe five minutes Sounds, five um, minutes sounds good yes five minutes oh great. yes um so yeah i believe no i have to address this i believe no i i am actually convinced that resentments will kill me i don't i don't even envy the civilians who can afford to have them you know my resentment my resentments that is to say the thoughts because i i didn't feel them as resentment and even in my country you know the the translation is very different so i never i, I never sense oh i resent somebody or, or or even i'm angry i never had anger of course not um my resentments that is to say the thoughts i'm munching on my brain crack that that will kill me so in that light what what does it matter how much more wrong other others were or how deeply you know this thing is unfair and fairness was a big big thing for me if i will stay with the resentment like a dog chewing on a bone, this will kill me. That, that's that's as simple as that. So I don't do I want to die because I don't know my husband cheated or uh, my parents threw me out of the house or my brother is an affair or even you know my uh, neighbor <laughs> said something to my dog that I didn't want them to be you know to, to give them to my dog. So does it matter? Do I want to die because of that? You know that's so so silly. It is because. But my brain, you know, the addict's brain always personalizes everything and it's all about me. And thus I'm tempted, you know, to write down the story. Because um, if I was writing this story, you know, when you're, write, when you're reading about Mr. Brown, you don't mind that it's just a simple fact, you know? But if, you, but if it was me, you know, this whole book wouldn't be enough. Um, here they are putting a couple of words about him on the list. And this is the example which I had to follow. No more stories, no more stories, just simple, elegant, hard, cold facts. The most beautiful step work I ever did with a sponsee was someone really desperate. And we did it in a span of two days. The person slept for like four hours and went on doing it. Sponsee didn't have the luxury to come up with a story. <laughs> he didn't have the energy to do it. So we actually got to actual causes. And this person, bloomed before my eyes in a span of two days. This was amazing transformation. And I saw it happen in others even more than I can see it in me. In, in me, I don't, I don't know, I, probably people looking at me can see it. I don't, and I don't mind not seeing it. I sense it, but mostly I see it um, in others when I carry out the message and they bloom. And in conclusion, I would say this regarding these instructions. 
they are not complicated or hard. Obey them. The hard part is to obey them and to not put our whole life story into them. The story we have been forging for so long and so hard, you know, not repeating it in our mind to make sure we can convince ourselves and others and even God that it is the truth. No, obey and write down simple hard facts. Obey and pray. You are unique. You know, and God has a job for you. And if you don't come out of the illusion you have built for yourself, you will never be able to do God's will for you. And so this work will never get done in all the universe, in all time, in all existence. It will, in all existence, it will never get done because there is only one you and only you can be you. So figure out who that is because God makes no mistakes. Um, and I will finish up with that. And as you say, I will pass. Thank you.